right, everybody. Oh, my goodness. Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Clark Podcast. The race has just ended, I mean, moments ago. I am outside at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. You can probably hear the helicopter above me. They are currently kissing the bricks right now. And I'm here with Tom Jensen, now of Popular Speed, and his son, John. John, how are you? Oh, Mr. Clock, I'm doing great. Thanks for having my dad and I on this podcast. It's such a great opportunity. Well, happy to have you. And Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, but I'll tell you, Jeff, I covered my first race professionally, I think, in 1989. I'm trying to think of one that was crazier and wilder than this, and I don't know. This is one of the strangest days I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's very tough to digest. I'm not even sure where to start. Uh, Let's just start maybe with the winner, and maybe we could just go backwards and try to remember all that happened if we can. So let's talk about Casey Kane. I mean, Casey Kane, just this morning... We're at a press conference. They're introducing Alex Bowman. And, you know, they're asking Rick Hendrick, hey, hey, what's going on with that five team? And he's like, it, basically, no, not even mentioning Casey's name and indic- indicating that he could be out of ride potentially. Now he wins the Brickyard 400. He's in the playoffs. Oh, my gosh. John, what do you think? Very crazy. If you ask me, Mr. Cluck, this is one of the craziest wins I have ever seen, but I'm very happy for Casey Kane. He's in the playoffs. He's got his first win since 2014 at Atlanta, and he's in the playoffs for the first time since 2014. And he's the 12th driver to be locked into the playoffs. I'd, and I'd say we've got a great playoff field at the moment. And this really shakes up the playoff field, doesn't it? Because um, now this is a very unexpected winner, somebody we didn't think was going to happen. And now you're looking at maybe like a Joey Logano type or a Matt Kenseth type, maybe both out. It's crazy. And we have not seen the points yet. They haven't come out yet. But Chase Elliott blew an engine. Clinton Boyer wrecked. We had a couple of other guys, Eric Jones, for instance, who's a, a playoff contender who got caught in a crash. So this, yeah, this race is going to really shake things up. And we've only got six races to go now until the field is set. And if you're not in now, you're sweating. John, uh, you're, you're great at stats and great at seeing how drivers are doing. Did you think that Casey Kane could win this year? No. I honestly did not think that Casey Kane would manage to pull this off. I mean, I think Casey Kane winning at the Brickyard tonight is a huge upset. Definitely. Definitely a huge upset. Now, um, let's talk about how it happened because I'm, I'm a little upset and I'm trying to stay calm. I need to call, probably calm down more before I do the podcast. But I'm not happy at all. I'm actually very, like, almost sickened and disgusted by the way it ended because the rule is... There's an overtime line on the backstretch. Now, if the caution if the caution comes out before the leader has reached the overtime line, there'll be another attempt at overtime, right? Well, the wreck on the replay clearly happens well before the overtime line was reached. However, NASCAR held the yellow, did not throw it until they had crossed the line. Now, NASCAR says on the in the brief conversation I had with them, they said, "Listen, we treat the end of the race differently. And they're using the argument that, you know, like on the white flag lap, they, they might hold it longer to get a finish. But my contention is, well, that's not the end of the race. Because they, if they had called the caution then, the race continues. And yes, I know that, you know, they probably would have had to red flag for cleanup maybe. There would have been uh, darkness is, is quickly becoming a factor, although it's not dark yet. Um, but, you know, there, that plays into it. But still, that's not the rule. And so I'm upset that the rule wasn't followed, similar to Daytona uh, Xfinity race. 
Jeff, you're talking to the wrong guy here. Because I'm still mad about the 2006 Daytona 500, which Mark Martin should have won. The whole 2007. Oh, John just corrected me. He's got the, the date better. 2007 Daytona 500. Remember that? Clint Boyer was upside down and on fire, and they didn't throw the checker, and, and I think, or didn't throw the caution. And I think one of the things that's really been problematic for some fans is NASCAR understandably wants to give itself some leeway, some wiggle room on these things, but you're an absolutist, and in many respects I'm an absolutist, and, and it either is or it isn't. And, you know, th- today was neither fish nor fowl to mix metaphors. John, do you have a take on the overtime line and the overtime rule? In all honesty, when I first heard about the overtime line, I thought it was a great idea because if you ask me, after what happened at Talladega a few years ago, my gosh, was I disgusted by that finish. I just couldn't stand it when NASCAR decided to do one attempt at a green white checkered and drivers cheating to just end the race like that because Kevin Harvick did exactly that. He caused a big one on purpose just so he could stay in the playoffs to battle for the championship, and it just threw everyone off because they were constantly telling NASCAR that was not a restart, and even in the green-white checkered attempt before that, NASCAR even said it wasn't a restart. And I'm just going to say it right now, I had never heard of a rule like that. So you know what? I'm glad the overtime line exists, but this is one of those cases where it's a, where it's a confusing finish. No, with the, the, I'm pausing because they're making an announcement over the PA. It's so, it's getting so dark. They're telling people, fans leaving, uh, be careful when you're leaving, walk down the steps. There's no lights here in Nitty. So it's definitely uh, it's definitely getting dark at this time. And we're probably, what, maybe about 20 minutes after the race at this point, would you say? Yeah, and it's, it's getting very dark. I, I think w- one of the things with, with that final restart, I don't know if they could have gotten – the track cleaned up and had them safely restart because it's a lot darker when you're in the cockpit of a car than it is sitting up here and you know going into a corner at you know you're going 210 miles an hour down the end end of the straightaway I think you know maybe the the fact that that it was a safety issue played into it but I don't want to put words in NASCAR's mouth but that would be understandable yeah I guess I I still struggle with that because you know, I guess I you're you're right. I, I probably am an absolutist. I never describe myself like that, but you you say that, and I, I just I'm like a rule follower. Like if they, if you say this is the rule, the, you're right. That would have been a very undesirable outcome to say, oh my gosh, we have to red flag the race now for this wreck, and oh the darkness has fallen, we can't get it restarted, and the person that was leading was the winner, which would have been the same winner by the way. But I think I actually would have preferred that. Is that would have been a total uh, s show? I don't want to swear in front of John, but. Uh, <laughs> A total poop show, but I still think that that would have been a more uh, like that would have been more in the spirit of the rule. I, I'm probably going off on this too much, but it's just I gosh, it bothers me when they make a rule and they don't follow it. Anyway, let's move on to how we got to that point, which was Casey Kane making a pass on Brad Keselowski. Now coming into that final restart, I did not think that Casey Kane had a chance. I thought Keselowski was, uh, you know, in general, a better restarter, you know, has been up there a lot more experience recently in the last few years. And he was the leader. He picked the inside, I think. And Casey beat him. Did you see that coming, John? No, 
I mean, seriously, as I mentioned before, Kane's win was an upset today. I seriously thought that Keselowski was going to have the chance to probably get by Kane on that restart, but Kane just had a better run coming into the corner, and I don't know how he did it, but somehow he did it, and he just managed to pull it off. Restart of his life, really. Tom, what do you think? I already had three paragraphs written about the historical significance of Roger Penske's first Brickyard 400 victory. And then I watched that restart, and I went, oops, hit the delete button. The, you know, Kane did a fantastic job, and it, it shows you what a driver can do when he's motivated, when he's got something to prove. And it also shows you the value of clean air because nobody behind those two guys got anywhere near them. And, um, you know, kudos to Casey. He did a fantastic job, and I'm sure he's heard the rumors, and I'm sure he's heard the, heard the talk. And um, I'm very happy for Keith Rodden, too, his crew chief, who's one of the nicest guys in the garage. And I thought, you know, I thought they was in the right place at the right time, and they did what they needed to do to win. Yeah, no, I, I agree on, on both those counts. And, um, and and really, Casey drove his guts out. There was, there was a previous restart, the one with Johnson, where Johnson seemed to be like blowing an engine and then almost took the lead. They were three wide for the lead, and Casey like went three wide in the middle and did not lift um, at Indy, which was pretty ballsy. Um, and so clearly he was motivated today. He was even saying, I think, in the car he was cramping, but he still came through. So, I mean, as much as we talk about how much the car matters, I think the driver still really can make a difference, don't you think, Sean? I think so. I mean, sometimes when you make great moves like that on a restart, you have a chance. And Casey Kane made a move like that on the restart, so he had the chance to win when he was battling with Keselowski and Johnson on one of those final restarts. I mean, I didn't think he was going to pull it off. I thought it was going to be between just Keselowski and Johnson. But, but when Kane managed to I think really what won the race for Casey Kane was when he made that pit stop with 10 to go right before we had that one caution when Clint Boyer racked. Yes, and that was a big moment. Um, he put himself in position. He had been staying out along with Johnson and Kozlowski long enough to hope to catch a caution, which he really didn't because he pitted. He sort of gave up on the strategy. And then a caution happened right then. It looked like Danica and Menard got loose in front of Boyer. Boyer snaps around, crashes very hard right down there. Uh, sort of the, at the entrance of pit road, Kurt Busch is involved. Um, that was obviously a big moment. I mean, it was sort of like a strategy that they didn't even really mean to play in some ways, Tom. And you think about it, Jeff, there were some really, truly terrifying moments in the race. You know, Martin Truex Jr.'s car engulfed in flames. Kyle Larson's car engulfed in flames. Boyer's hit was savage. There were a couple of other pre pretty good hits today, and it goes... It speaks to how far we've come in safety that there were no injuries today, which I was I was glad to see. But, you know, there's there's no way I don't care how brilliant I don't care if you're if you're, you know, if you're Chad Knauss or Dale Inman or, or the greatest crew chief in the world. There's a certain amount of today that was just a crapshoot because there was so much that happened at the end. You make your best guess and it, it's an educated guess. But I don't want to say luck played into it, but but. It did, <laughs> you know? Well, as we continue to go backwards here, we're working our way backwards, and I'm trying to remember everything that happened. So as that caution was coming out, um, Trevor Bain's strategy was ruined because he was trying to save, and he was actually doing a really good job, it seemed like, saving fuel. Now, we don't know if he would have made it, but his I was listening to his radio, and his lap times, they said, were really good for not using the full throttle. And Kenseth, who was the only one that could really chase him down under that strategy, uh, wasn't gaining on him. I mean, he was only uh, like 11 seconds, uh, you know, he was still 11 seconds back 
uh, with, with the laps dwindling down and the caution happens. Did you think, John, for a minute that, that Trevor Bain, not Casey Kane, was going to be the upset guy today? Honestly, I didn't think Trevor Bain was even going to have, to have a shot at this. I mean, sure, he was up at the front near the end of the race, but I seriously did not see that coming. And what you mentioned before about Kenseth not being able to catch him, that really surprises me because since Trevor Bain was trying to use a strategy and stay out longer than Kenseth and Kenseth had pitted beforehand, the thing is they always say fresher tires make you faster and you'll most likely pass those who are on worn-out tires quicker. And we didn't see that today. So the fact that Trevor Bain actually managed to stay in front of Kenseth, who was on fresher tires, throughout near the end of the race really shocked me. And that's what made me think Trevor Bain could have had a chance to win. And, and let me just say... I didn't know that he was going to go on that strategy, but as a former Daytona 500 winner, why wouldn't you want to go on that strategy? Yeah, it was sort of the Hale Dale thing that Dale Earnhardt Jr. was needing to go for. But, Tom, did you think that for a minute there it was going to work out for Trevor Bain? No, I walked in. We were sitting out on the terrace watching the race and listening to it on, on the, the um, scanner. And I walked in and saw the TV feed, and they were talking about this race is setting up for Trevor Bain, and I was kind of like, what? I, I didn't really think that was going to happen, but I'll tell you, one, one, of the, one of the real important takeaways from this race is it reminded us how important clean air is and how much NASCAR needs to figure out a way to integrate some of what they raced so successfully in the Xfinity race on Saturday into the cup cars. And I don't know how that will translate. I don't know how they do it. I'm not an engineer, but I'd like to see it. Well, and, and speaking of clean air, that kind of leads into the next topic, which was the big, what we thought was going to be the big moment of the race for a while, which was Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Busch. Um, because that was about, with I think, 55 laps to go. And they had been working deals, right? Um, especially when Kyle was leading, Truex kept saying, yeah, that's fine. I'll let you in. Uh, you give me the bottom. I'll give you the outside. You let me in. Then as soon as uh, Kyle was, uh, or Truex was leading, Kyle didn't want to do the deals anymore. And Truex was a little bit miffed about it. And so he's like, all right, you want to play that game? And But they, I think both of them thought this is because of clean air, like you're saying, Tom, this is our one shot. Even 55 laps ago, this is our chance to make the move this is this could be the winning move you know we may never get another shot so they both went in the corner truex got a little loose made a mistake and boom two top toyotas collide the two clearly the two best cars of the day out of the race john what did your jaw just drop at that moment yes i'm just going to say it right now mr gluck my jaw did drop i mean i didn't even see the crash because what happened was i heard the whole entire crowd just go into major shock and then I was like what what was going on and then I noticed that Kyle Busch and, and then someone told me that Truex and Kyle Busch both wrecked and that really stunned me and Kyle Busch was one of the favorites going into this race he was looking for a three-peat at Indianapolis and when I saw Truex on fire I was like get out of that car it's on fire get out get out get out and and I'm glad he managed to get out of that car unhurt. That really shows you the safety that NASCAR has put into not only these cars but also the tracks. Yeah, for sure. Um, Tom, uh, you know, obviously that was a strategy they were using. And at some point, as the TV announcers were saying, like, hey, it's time to race. Uh, Truex maybe disagreed because there was still enough time. Kyle was saying, yeah, you got to go for it. And, and I asked Kyle afterwards, any regrets? And he said, no, you know, you got to go for it. And hindsight's twenty twenty. But if I don't go, if I don't get rid of the deal there, 
he probably pulls away by three seconds in clean air and I never catch up with him again. And I'm thinking about how I wish I hadn't done the deal. So Kyle didn't regret it. Um, I don't know. You have any, any thoughts on that incident? It was unfortunate. It was a racing incident. I honestly feel bad for Kyle Busch because he's had so many chances to win races this year and he hasn't managed to seal the deal. He's gone a full year without winning a race, which to me is almost inconceivable. As good as he is as a driver, as good as that team is, as good as, as their Toyotas are. And, you know, I, I thought surely after winning the first and second stages, he was going to seal the deal today and he didn't. And, you know, you can tell that's in his head. You can just tell that's a little bit in his head. What's it going to be this time? Now, that said, he could go to Pocono next week and run off a string of three victories in the next four or five races. That wouldn't surprise me either. But right now, he's got to be wondering, you know, who's sticking needles in his Cupid doll. Now, as, as wild of a race as this was, um, there was an Xfinity race. And they had tried a new, completely different uh, package with aero ducts and restrictor plates. That race drew rave reviews. Um, the first two stages of this race were not very good at all. Kyle Busch pretty much completely dominated. And then stage three was the most insane thing ever. That said, uh, John, would you like to see the Xfinity race package used for Cup here? Or did this crazy race satisfy you enough that you're like, nah, let's just, let's just stick with the, the usual for Cup? You know what? I could honestly go either way with this because I thought the Xfinity Series package they used yesterday was a great package, but with how crazy today's race was, I don't see why they could continue to race with the package they used in the cup race today. But you know what? I wouldn't mind if they do use the Xfinity Series package that they used yesterday for cup races here in the future, but like I said, it could go either way with me. Yeah, I'm kind of on the mindset that they should maybe try it. Obviously, this is the wackiest brickyard race ever, and so making a change after this, people are going to be like, "Well, what? It, it was I was entertained, you know." But um, I think that 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 road is worth pursuing going down. Maybe not even just for Indy, but Pocono, Michigan, and maybe even mile and a half tracks. You think it would work there, Tom? Again, I'm not an engineer, but but I think there's some p potential there. And you have to remember, people tend to judge races by the end of the race. You know, John and I were both sitting here after the first two stages. Kyle led 50 of the first, led all 50 laps in the first stage, 35 of the 50 in the second stage, and it looked like it was just going to be a snoozer till, like you said, it became, suddenly became the craziest and most unpredictable race ever. But yeah, I do think they have to do something. And, and the tough part is that, and we've seen this repeatedly in the past five years, the only real proof of concept is putting 40 cars on the specific tire you're going to race on, on the specific track you're going to race on in race conditions. Because you can put 20 cars out to test and, and guys don't go as hard and they don't really race each other and they just kind of log laps and you don't really know. They've tried a couple packages that have been horrendous and they've tried a couple that have been pretty good, I, I thought. So I think, they, I think they'll definitely look at doing something for next year. Well, obviously, uh, it was an entertaining race, but I'm not sure how people are going to respond when I do my was it a good race poll on Twitter tomorrow. I just I don't really have quite a feel. But uh, one thing I like to do on the podcast is to take guesses on what the percentage will be. Now, last year, the Brickyard race was, I think, 17 percent, which is the lowest of any race that I've ever polled so far. 
but I think this one will be much higher. John, I'll give you the first pick. Um, what percent of the people, uh, when they do the was a good race poll tomorrow, do you think will say, yes, it was a good race? I would say, I'd say somewhere around 80 to 85%. Because you know what? I have never seen a NASCAR race as hectic as this one. I mean, I totally agree with Dad. It was a crapshoot. But there was no reason why you could say it wasn't a good race because it was definitely a good race especially with how hectic that third stage was i mean i totally agree with dad on what he said that it looked like a blowout when it came to the first two stages but the third stage all heck broke loose and that's why i think that about 80 to 85 percent of people will say it was a good race okay so you have 80 to 85 percent saying yes uh, you think it's going to be very popular. Tom, what are, what are you going to say percentage-wise? I'm going to say about 35% because 50% are going to say it's a bad race because Junior wrecked. <laughs> and, and the other people just don't like wrecks in general or something? I, I think it went way too long for, for everybody's attention span. You know, the, the one constant I saw today is I didn't say, see a single person on Twitter, including drivers during the rain delay, saying... Let's have more 3 o'clock starts. Uh, So I think a lot of people are going to be turned off because of that. Yeah, um, I I agree on the the late starts. Uh, You know, I was honestly sweating bullets because um, right now in my current situation with jeffgluck.com and i appreciate you being a patron tom but um you know i i i do have a lot of patrons and it's great to get me to the races but it's not really in the budget to have um travel fee, uh, change fees for your flight and i was sitting there thinking you know what if this goes till tomorrow i honestly don't know if i can if i could change my flight i just i you know it's at least a couple hundred bucks you never know how much the airlines are going to charge so i was from a personal standpoint really sweating and and getting kind of upset that you know hey if this had been an earlier start They could have gotten the race in, Um, but fortunately it did get in, so we don't have to worry about that. But anyway, back to the percentage. Um, As far as people say it was a good race, I I do tend to agree more with John. I think it'll be a little bit on the higher scale because it was so entertaining and wacky. and and, um, But I I don't know if it's going to quite reach the 80s because some people might go, oh, there's too many wrecks and and blah, blah, blah. So since you chose 80 to 85, I'm going to, I think I'll go 75%, John. Is that fair? Absolutely. Now, the main reason I said 80 to 85% was because I know there were some people that complained about how late the race went. And I know there were probably some people that probably ranted about the finish. And, and even I would agree, even I'd be confused by the finish because the truth is the first time the race was called, I was like, wait a minute, we didn't even cross the overtime line. Why are they saying the race was called? And then the, my best guess was it was, pro- it was because the track was getting dark. And if the track was getting dark, then it would be an understandable reason as to why they would call the race official. But in my opinion, it just resulted in a confusing finish, which is why I think it's the 80 to 85% in terms of those who are going to say it's a good race. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think as well about the, uh, the finish playing a part of it. And, and that may, that may detract from it. Although it was a, it was a good winner that people wanted to see. So then that makes it go up as well. There will be a lot of love for Casey Kane for sure. For sure. So, uh, one thing before we continue, uh, I have a, 
sponsor for the post-race podcast that I need to talk about real quick. It is SamTech, the School of Automotive Machinists and Technology. They're in Houston, Texas. Um, I went and visited them with Sarah when we drove through. And basically, they're a high-performance uh, racing school. They're, they're, they're um, getting people geared up you know, to build engines and things like that. And then you can go work at like Hendrick Motorsports that won the race today. Um, or, you know, a place like Roush or, or uh, you know, NHRA teams. They're, they're really big in NHRA, IndyCar. Um, and, uh, they also have all sorts of programs where, you know, you could even learn how to do the machine tools. And so you could work in like airplanes and stuff. So, uh, John, you know, I don't know if you're interested, but tell your friends maybe to go to samtech.edu and then the people that sponsor the podcast would be, would be happy with me. Is that cool? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and especially if engine building is something they dream of doing in their careers. I mean, it's definitely a great choice. I mean, my dad's built an engine before in that engine competition a few years ago, which he won. And there's no question that if you want to build engines in your life and you're a NASCAR fan, go ahead. Go to that company in Houston. You, they'll definitely want to have you if you want to build engines. So if you ask me, great sponsor for your podcast. Thank you. Thank you, John, for the plug. Now, John, what do you want to do uh, when you grow up? Well... I'm still unsure about what to do. I was thinking about working at a local gas station or something, something along that, something along those lines, because I feel like that's a job that isn't going to be so hard. And some day it could happen, but we just never know. Okay. And um, Tom, let's talk about your new venture. Uh, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? You just switched careers. So, uh, maybe not careers, I guess, but, but jobs. Um, you're with Popular Speed now after the terrible decision by Fox Sports, those losers, I can say that. Not, you don't have to say that. Um, but to go to, away from the written word, to go to uh, all, all video. I was very upset about that. Almost as upset as I was about the overtime line but, uh, today. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Tom, tell, tell us about your, uh, your new venture at Popular Speed. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Mike Kalanoff, the owner of Popular Speed, used to be Matt Kenseth's spotter for many years. And Mike and I have, uh, we go way back, 10, 15 years. And usually every year when we, we go to Las Vegas, there's a Brazilian steakhouse. We, we have dinner on Friday night, and it's kind of a tradition. And, and when Speed.com went away a couple years ago, he decided to start a website because he thought there would be a vacuum. And then we started talking when FoxSports.com went away, essentially went away. They're all video now because we believe people still want the written word. Um, I see the tremendous response you get with JeffGluck.com and some of the stuff that, that we're doing at PopularSpeed.com has started to take off. And I believe there is a need. And I think this... this um, Yes, there's a need for video, but there's also a need for, for words. People want analysis. People want to know what does it mean, and that's, that's what we try to do. And so I'm very excited about working with Mike. He's got a great team, and I'm doing a lot of other cool projects. I'm um, going to be writing for Barrett-Jackson again for their, for their magazine. I'm, I'm going to be doing some work for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. I'm planning on going to the SEMA show for the first time in November, and I've got about half a dozen races booked for the rest of the year. So my dance card's pretty full. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. I'm very excited for you. 
Um, now, guys, uh, the final thing we have to do with the podcast is we have to come up with a hashtag, something creative, hopefully funny, that people can use on Twitter to talk about um, the race and, and the podcast and all that stuff and, and give us feedback. So uh, do you have any nominees of a hashtag that we could talk about? Well, Mr. Cluck, my hashtag would be hashtag wildest IMS race ever. Wildest IMS race ever. Tom, do you have a, a nominee? Hashtag bricks hit the fan. <laughs> John, you like that one better? That's a good one. Yeah, I think, oh, that's very clever. I think we should go with hashtag bricks hit the fan. Are you okay with that, John? Oh, absolutely. Especially since I think Dad made a better choice at, at a hashtag than I did. I'll still, although I still think my hashtag still definitely is an understandable one. Oh, absolutely. And people can use yours as well if, if they want to. Well, guys, it was really fun. Thanks for doing this after the race. It's definitely dark out here now. So I guess we should probably get back into the media center and see what Casey Kane has to say. But uh, John, Tom, thank you guys so much. My, our pleasure, Mr. Glock. Thanks, Jeff. Our pleasure. And uh, I will talk to the rest of you guys on the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast soon. Thanks again for listening.